Welcome to Tax Boss. I'm Meryl Bailey in Orlando, Florida. And I'm Crystal Woodbury in Denver, Colorado. We're each licensed as attorneys and CPAs. We help our clients get the best results because we work well with their trusted advisors. Tax Boss is a podcast for advisors from multiple professions to get together to discuss common client issues and how we can work together to solve them. So, Meryl, we're approaching the end of the year, and that's when a lot of people start doing their family gifting and charitable gifting. Yes. And what's interesting is I used to have a large portion of my practice was scheduled gifted planning for my clients that had taxable estates. Mm -hmm. But now that the estate tax is effectively gone for the vast majority of the United States, like (laughs) 99.999%, I am choosing or advising to tell my clients that I generally don't want them to gift large amounts for tax reasons. So let's talk about that, Crystal, because people still want to make gifts. How can we make it easy for them? Right. And Meryl, I've actually had a situation come up this past week where a client of mine inherited a house and sold it and wants to gift those proceeds to her children so they can pay off their respective mortgages. And so that gift, she could make the gift directly to the children, but she also could just pay the mortgage off directly on their behalf if she would think that they would divert the money to places where she wouldn't want it to go. Right, right. And her specific question to me was, do she and her husband make smaller gifts over the next couple of years so that they don't have to report the gift? Or do they just gift it all in one lump sum, let their kids pay off their mortgage and be done with it? Oh, my gosh. So... Let's talk about gift tax reporting. I am the biggest fan of gift tax returns. That is IRS form 709. I always remember it because nine has four digits in it and so does gift. That's how I remember which number it is. But the gift tax return is an informational return in most cases. You are letting the IRS know that you gifted something. And as a result, The valuation of that gift is accepted if the IRS does not object to it within three years of the return. So the 709 is filed at the same time as the income tax return. So if you extend the filing date for your 1040, you also extend the filing date for the 709. And the 709 requires you to list gifts that you've made. So, Mara, let's talk about what does have to be reported and what does not have to be reported on a gift tax return. Well, the gift tax rules are that you can gift $15,000 a year to as many people as you want. Everyone can send checks to me and Crystal right now if you feel so, so um, if we're deserving. You can, and that is a gift that is not subject to gift tax. It is exempt. If you gift $15,001, you would have to report the gift. You'd still get the $15,000 credit, but you'd have to use the $1 would go towards your lifetime exemption, which right now is $11.4 million. Yes. And Meryl, that's $15,000 in a calendar year. Correct. Not $15,000 at a time. Correct. So the it is cumulative correct. amount cannot exceed $15,000. Right. And so when I tell people that this 
fourth quarter is my version of tax season, I'm saying that I don't do income tax returns. I have to worry about gifting and gifting people end up usually trying to do it in the last quarter of the year because they know how much money they have and it's the holidays and other things. Now, you can also make gifts that don't count towards the gift tax exemption or the gift tax, and that would be a gift of tuition, but it has to be made directly to the school, and it does not include books, lab fees, room, room. it's tuition. You can pay medical expenses directly to the provider. You can, and this is on anybody, you can pay this for anybody, and they don't count towards the 15000 and they don't count towards your $11.38 million. So I tell my clients if they want to pay for their grandkids to go to school, they would pay the tuition directly to the provider, and then they could pay the um, dorm fees and lab fees and books and other things, paying $15,000 each. Yes, yes. You can also make unlimited gifts to charities. Yes. Um, and unlimited gifts to your spouse. Correct. Correct. Now, even though these gifts may be non-taxable for gift tax purposes, sometimes I still want to report them on a gift tax return. Now, Crystal, talk about splitting gifts with a spouse. So, Meryl, if I made a gift to you of $30,000, I have exceeded my $15,000 to you, but because I'm married, I can choose, with my husband's permission, to gift split so that I have given you, we report it as though I have given you $15,000 and my spouse has given you $15,000. Yes. So we are under the $15,000 per giver to recipient in that case because we're married. Correct. Now, one thing that we've done is, again, I, I used to have a very specific gifting plan for many of my clients that had a taxable estate. And for my clients that still have taxable estates, I still have gifting plans. And very often that would include not gifting cash, but I would gift percentages of a family limited partnership. Because if you take a share of Apple stock and you gift it, let's say it's worth 100 bucks, then that gift is worth 100 bucks. If, however, I put that share of Apple stock in a family limited partnership that was set up to maximize discounts for lack of marketability and lack of control, you can get, the IRS will agree that a gift of the partnership in an equivalent value of that share of Apple stock is only worth somewhere between 45 to 65 to $85. So you can actually gift more than the $15,000 a year, say $21,000 a year or $25,000 a year, and the IRS will only think it's worth 15,000 because they accept these discounts. When you're doing that type of gifting, I definitely want the Form 709 filed. Right, reporting that. Yeah, and, and the trade-off there, Merrill, is that the recipient doesn't receive dollar for dollar in basis of that asset. They receive the discounted value. So in theory, the IRS makes up for that 
when the asset sold. Right. So there now we're talking about two different taxes. Mm-hmm. So for gift tax purposes, I am making a gift that is not subject to tax, but I am gifting something that has a basis that may not be equal to fair market value and may have a built-in capital gain. And when they, the gift recipient goes to sell it, they're going to be subject to income tax on that sale. Correct. Correct. But if they inherited that asset, Crystal, mm-hmm. what would happen? Then they would get what we call a step-up in basis to date-of-death value and eliminate much of that capital gain potential. Correct. So if my Aunt Dorothy had a piece of real property that she bought for $100 and she died and left that, and now it's worth $1,000, if she died and left me that piece of real property, I would get a stepped up basis to fair market value of $1,000. So my basis is $1,000. The fair market is $1,000. If I sold it, there would be no income tax, no capital gains tax due on that sale. If, however, Aunt Dorothy during her life gifted me that same piece of real property when the fair market value was was $1,000 and her basis was $100, I would take it with the basis of $100. So if I then sold it, I would sell it for $1,000. My basis was $100. I would have to pay capital gains on that $900 difference. So that's why for my clients that do not have a an estate taxable estate. So either as a married couple, they're worth less than $23 million, which is a huge amount. Then I would say, don't gift now, die and leave it to the kids and they'll get a step up in basis. And then there's no estate tax and no income tax. And I imagine it happens to me once or twice a month, Meryl, in my estate planning practice. And I imagine it happens to you as well. Um, A parents, usually elderly parent comes in and says, I just want to give my house to my child now so that it doesn't go through probate and they have it. And the conversation we then have is if you give your house to your child now, um, one, there could be potential creditor issues, but two, your child takes the house at what you paid for it plus what you put into it. So your basis. And when you die, if your child sells that house they do not get a step up to date of death value and they're gonna pay capital gain on that house if they are not residing in the house and following the the capital gain exclusion rules for a personal residence. If they inherit the house, when you die, there are ways to plan so that the house does not go through probate. They will get a step up in basis so when they sell the house, they minimize that capital gain impact. Well, there's also family implications to gifting. There was a Dear Amy column recently about a daughter wrote in to talk about her brother. And we joke about this all the time, but it happens because it's so true. The brother has been living with mom since he was 40. He's now 55. Mom completely supports the brother on her Social Security. He lives in the house. She wants to gift him the house. And daughter's like, the rest of us don't want her to gift him the house. It's not fair that he gifts the house. So gifting has implications. So you have to think about the family implications Mm -hmm. of gifting. On the other hand, it's mom's house and mom can do anything she darn well pleased with it. She can. But then you have to look for undue influence. So that's a whole other topic. Yes, yes. 
So I think in summary, Merrill, as we're approaching the end of the year and we're having conversations with clients and advisors are having conversations with their clients about gifting to family members, to charities, or to reduce the size of their estate, there are other conversations that need to be have had in that realm concerning the filing of a 709, the reporting of basis. Yes. And also be aware, you know, Crystal and I are both CPAs as well as attorneys. And we just want to make sure that there are a lot of, that people understand, there are a lot of lawyers who don't know how to fill out a 709. There are a lot of CPAs that don't know how to fill out a 709. They are deceptively simple, and you'll read a sentence that looks like it is clear as day, and in reality, it there's 5,000 pages that could explain that one sentence. So if you don't know how to fill out a 709, let someone do it who does. That's it for this episode of Tax Boss. Remember, spectacular trusted advisors play nice in the sandbox with their peers. Find your A-team and collaborate with them. Until next time, I'm Crystal Woodbury. And I'm Meryl Bailey. Thanks for joining us. Go dazzle your clients like a tax boss. Please contact us at Tax Boss. We'd love to hear your questions or have you tell us about ideas that you would like us to discuss. Find us at our website, www.taxbosses.com. That's T-A-X-B-O-S-S-E-S.com.